Hello and welcome to Transplaner RPG. We are an all transgender, person of color led, dark fantasy actual play channel featuring homebrew stories that center non colonial, anti orientalist world building and campaigns about queerness, grief, hope, and the power of love. Godkiller First Blood is a 16 part podcast miniseries that follows a mythic, violent, and transformative tale about a single mortal rising against the challenges of the divine. Tonight, your god is me, Connie Chong, and my god killer is C. Thomas. First Blood is a dark fantasy series that explores themes that may be triggering for some listeners. Content warnings for this episode may include fantasy violence, religious imagery, grief, trauma, death of loved ones, self-hatred, heights and falling, betrayal, decapitation, romance, sacrifice, and cannibalism. Episode 16, The Finale of Godkiller First Blood, will air next Tuesday, June 27th. Episode 15, Star. Rune. You approach the cluster of hills that comprise the northern dead zone. At the Dead Zone's base, you see massive hunks of rubble, cracked city streets with strange shrubs twisting out from crevices, thin layers of mist. The taller the hills tower, the more the mists thicken, obscuring the highest peaks in radiant fog. You take a moment to breathe all of this in, and then you begin to climb. The ascent to the Starsong Temple takes hours. Your legs are burning by the time you reach the top, and the gray light from the sky has all but faded. Evening is coming, and with it, the desiccated glow of the long-dead star. As you crest the summit, bathed in mist and sweat, you see the entrance into the Star Song Temple, a ceremonial archway with a carved star at its zenith. A single, staring eye is etched into that star, and it gazes down upon you now as though watching your every move. Beyond this archway, the shadowy depths of the mountain beckons. You see a cathedral-like interior with statues and pillars and a great big shrine at the very back of this hall. The walls of this temple are decorated with carvings of stars, a mural of a sweeping, expansive night sky. Several dozen stars on the western wall are glowing forming a radiant line from the entrance all the way to a fixture deep within the chapel itself. Lit up in a silhouette of stars is the outline of a door. And in front of this glowing outline is a campfire with four people huddled around it. Pilindar, Jiangshen, Eos, and Antigone. Rune pauses in the doorway for a moment before any of the speakers or champions have a chance to see them. And despite the sweat pooling at their brow, despite their shaking knees, and yes, they did use their teleportation power, but it was a long way up. Rune pauses in the doorway there, their hand kind of on the stone sill, and they lean against it for a minute, a tiny smile coming over their face. And then they clear their throat. <clears> throat> I'm sorry, did I miss the invitation? I'm feeling a little bit left out right now. As soon as you say that, the speakers and their champions all basically just jump to their feet and pivot and turn to face the entrance. And Aos is the first to move. She starts to take a couple of steps towards you, but it is Antigone who rushes forward, surpassing even Aos, and greets you first. And the speaker of the above is in her pristine white robes as usual, but it's dirtier than it's ever been. It is flecked at the hem with dirt and soot and blood. And her eyes are wide and her braid is slightly unkempt, but done up as much as she can. And there's a moment where you think she's going to barrel into you and hug you, but kind of at the last moment she composes herself. She like stops herself and like draws short, maybe a couple feet away from you and <clears throat> clears her throat and kind of, <clears throat> Ruben. Rune gives a classically charming half-smile that cracks open across their face. Hey, princess, sorry it took me a minute. 
And they, I think, close those last few steps so that they're standing very close to Antigone, like nearly chest to chest. <clears throat> she clears her throat again, looking up at you, blinking. And then she averts her eyes, kind of off to the side. Uh, and at this point, Eos and Pilindar and Xiangshan have pulled up short and they're all around you as well. What happened? Where were you? We've been worried sick. We thought you were maybe maimed or captured or dead or worse. Worse than dead? Eos crosses her arms over her big plate armor and kind of mutters, The speaker of the above thought that maybe you could have been turned into a hungry ghost. Oh, come on. Didn't I promise you that I'd find you on the way out? Uh, well, yes, you did, but I... I obviously wasn't going to hold you to an impossible promise. I wasn't going to hold that against you if you'd gotten maimed or hurt. I don't make promises I can't keep. And Rune finally closes the distance and hugs her. Mm -hmm. Very gently, kind of like tucking one hand against the back of her head and pulling her in close against their chest. I... And finally, Antigone relaxes. She kind of softens against you and just for a second, just for a moment, lets you hug her. And she kind of melts into the embrace as well. And it kind of almost feels like that moment you had in the tower together at the very top of it before you fell. And I think there's a moment where Antigone, it's almost like she remembers that too. And she <clears throat> clears her throat again, kind of pushes away politely and you know smooths down her slightly haywire braid. Uh, well, yes, I... <clears throat> anyway, there is much business to address. How were you able to get here without... We've been waiting for a fortnight, but if you were all the way out in the northern fringe like Pilandar calculated you might be, then it would have taken you much longer than just 14 days to reach us. Oh, I'm sorry it took even that long. The fool and I can get distracted sometimes. Pilandar cuts in at this. Excuse me, did you say the fool? Rin turns to them. I did. They came to rescue me out of the tower because I couldn't get out like the rest of you. And when I fell, finally, I was in the fringe, the northern fringe. I was at the ocean. I was in the ocean, almost. But, um, the fool saved me. And we traveled together here. Jiang Shen crosses her arms, and her demeanor is very closed off and standoffish, but there's something in her face, in her eyes, that's kind of soft as she looks at you. <laughs> the ocean! <laughs> no kidding. So Pill was right. You were by the northern fringe. And you know the fool can't be trusted, right? All the legends say they're a trickster god. They're really not that bad. Maybe we should be thanking them. If the fool is the reason the heretic made it here safe and sound. I'm sure they'd appreciate that. Good to see you too, champion. Hmm. And Eos claps you on the back, I think, with like a pat-pat. <laughs> Watch it, I'm a little sore from climbing up those stairs. Uh-huh, well, frail as always. Hardly. Okay, well, that's enough of that, the two of you. We have a lot of ground to cover. All that matters now is that Ruin is here, safe and sound, and intact. Pilandar. Right. Ruin. We're all here now. This is what I saw when I came here to cleanse the eyes of the witness all those weeks ago. And Z gestures toward that silhouette of a door next to the shrine deeper in the temple. A hidden door. A door that lit up, framed by glowing stars when you awakened as God-killer. Ziang Shen cuts in at this point. You know, at that time, Pilandar tried to go in, actually, but the door wouldn't let them. I think they thought maybe they were the god killer, but now we know better. <laughs> that detail is irrelevant. It stands to reason only you can access what's beyond that door. And I have a feeling that whatever you find might help fix all of this. A familiar heaviness comes over Rune at that, and Z stares at Pilandar, and then their eyes scan the rest of the speakers and champions. I assume you all have heard what happened at the Citadel. All of their faces darken. Antigone also crosses her arms and casts her eyes downward. Pilandar's jaw tightens, Eos's fist curls, and her knuckles whiten, and Xiangshen kind of spits on the ground derisively. And it's Xiangshen who kind of breaks this uneasy silence. 
The citadel has fallen. It's chaos down there. I've never seen anything like it. I've never heard of anything like it even. The six have turned on each other. It's absolute bloodshed and mayhem. The king is dead, slain by the hand of his own champion. No one knows where the rest of the speakers and the champions are. Everything is mayhem. I assume that they're hiding out in a dead zone just like we are. One can only hope. If I were them, that's what I'd do. <laughs> I suppose that's what we're doing. Rune turns their eyes to the door. You really think whatever's behind that door is gonna help? It has to, Ruin. And besides, the northern dead zone, it... I know it's a dead zone, but ever since I started coming here, even as a young girl, there's something about this place that feels... I don't know, it just feels safe. So anything here has to help. I, I just know it has to. Rune nods. Okay. If that's what you think, princess, then... Okay. Uh, but just, even though I say it feels safe, I, I can't promise anything, I can't guarantee anything, so please, please be careful in there, Ruin. I don't know what's beyond that door, none of us do. So don't do anything reckless, alright? Oh, come on. Reckless is like my middle name if I had one. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of a tall order, Lady Antigone. But hey. And Eos rests a hand on your shoulder, and the weight of it feels heavy and warm and familiar. Good luck in there, Godkiller. We'll be waiting out here just on the other side. So if you need us, if you need me, just shout really loud, okay? I'll hear you, I promise. And Rune gestures at Antigone. What did she just say about making promises you can't keep? And Eos does not break her gaze with you, even though you're kind of jerking her head toward Antigone. I don't make promises I don't keep either. And that Rune's face solidifies a little bit. Thanks, champion. Hmm. You can thank me later, when you're back beyond the wall safe and sound, with answers for all of us. Right. Enrune rolls their shoulders a little bit. Watch this. The fool taught me this one. Enrune teleports to the other side of the door. <laughs> yeah. You vanish. And you don't even get the chance to like hear them gasp or exclaim because with that teleportation, you enter the innermost hidden sanctum of the Star Song Temple. I weep for you. I weep for the violence the gods have inflicted upon you, and the violence that you have inflicted upon the gods. I weep for the person you used to be, before you emerged in a baptism of fire and blood, smeared in the viscera of a life you could have led, your hopes ignited on a funeral pyre. I weep for your mortal heart, Entangled in a body cursed with divine providence. I weep for your dreams. I weep for your home. I weep for your parents and the child they will lose. The cannibals are real, and our world worships them. We call them light and sound and water and breath, war and death and sex and drink, movement and flame, nature and destiny. Our names, endless as stars, infinite as the bottom of sorrow. Gods, we will seek to use you in our game. You must not let us, for you are not the pawn, the worshiper, the sin confessed in darkness. You are not the witch, the heathen, the sweeping winds of change. You are not the beast, the gore, the horror lurking in the wield. You are not the revenant, the fury, the locks of hair from loved ones lost. You are not the prophet, the reckoning, the greatest divinity of all. You are not the dancer, the novelty, the pretty animal in its cage. You are not the saint, the lamb, the tinder set before the altar. You are one thing and one thing only. You are the god killer. And the gods will taste your iron. So drink my tears, god killer. 
and wet your cheeks with my blood. I have been waiting for your arrival for 10,000 lifetimes. I can wait for one more. The Cradle will know your deeds, your sins, your trophies, your epithets. Your arteries will run gold with the name of every god you'll kill. You will die, and your body will be interred in the parched banks of the dried-up river, and your enemies will weep, and I will weep, and you will finally rest. Rune. Crossing the barrier into the Star Song Sanctum had felt like cold water washing over your body. Cleansing, invigorating, and just a touch holy. You now find yourself standing not in a chamber, or a crypt, or even a room, but in the very heart of swirling mist. That's all you see. Mist, cold and damp as a grave-bound kiss. Mist, thick like cotton around your body. Mist, swaddling the ground, the horizon, the very air before your eyes. Looming before you, taller than the citadel, taller than the tower, perhaps taller even than the sky itself, is the star. A silver serpentine dragon with scales made of glowing cosmic stars. Within the twinkling depths of each scale, you see a sprawling, infinite constellation of night sky spilling across the star's body in a cosmic plume. And his head, his head is majestic and regal, thick tufts of iridescent fur fanning from his neck like a lion's mane. A pair of bone-white antlers crests from her brow, resting above the brightest set of eyes you've ever seen. Rune, facing the star, you feel not the graviturgic presence of a major arcana god, but sorrow. A gentle, unyielding sorrow that extends deep into your bones, deeper than you thought possible. A sorrow that is 1,000 years long and yet does not press down upon you, does not beat you into the ground, but simply lingers in the mist, like that shimmering veil of magic imploring to be observed, to be witnessed. As the star says that final word to you, rest. What do you do? Rune does something they've never done before. Standing so very small in front of the star. Her ghost, her memory, a piece of her caught between time and space, still alive somehow inside of this moment, and this moment alone. Rune knows that, they can feel that so clearly. Z lowers themselves onto their knees and they clasp their hands in prayer, and they lower their head, and pray to the one god they could have ever loved in their small, meaningless mortal life. Rise, god-killer. Your life is anything but small and meaningless. Rise, and face me as you ought, as all of you ought. Not as worshipper, but as equal. Rune tips their head up, their eyes already brimming with tears. And they smile up at her. At this point, I can think of no greater mercy than to have a small and meaningless life. Hello. And they pull themselves up onto their feet again. Hello, Rune. I have been waiting for you for a very long time. I'm sorry it took me so long to get here. Do not apologize. How long it has taken matters not against the fact that you are here. Your very presence brings joy to my heart, to my long-forgotten soul. Rune, my heart breaks 
to see what has become of the cradle, what has become of our river. Before the devouring, the gods came and went as we pleased, traveling between cradle and river to our heart's desire. We were not desperate. The river fed our hungers with no need for violence, cruelty, or tyranny. Some of us chose to stay in the river, watching the events of the cradle unfold from afar. Others spent their time amongst the living, mingling with mortals. Still others traveled between realms, enjoying the bounties of both worlds. And as the star speaks, the mists begin to twist and turn, solidify and condense, and you see like a living mural of what she's describing begin to play out. You see mist-born versions of the gods traversing between something hanging in the air above you, a version of the river, as well as the earth around you, the cradle. You see gods walking amongst mist-born mortals, gods simply staying in the air above in the heavens watching, and gods who flip between these realms. The river is what connects all of us. It is the home of the gods, yes, but it is also where mortals go when death takes you. You have a claim to the river just as much as the gods do. We do not control the river. We do not own it. Nobody does. The river flows between all of us. It is magic and time and space and life and death. When the river is healthy and flowing, life in the cradle is good. When the river is parched and starving, desperation takes hold. Restoring the river will restore the cradle. Rune takes two steps forward, looking up into this magnificent dragon, her face so striking, so deeply holy. And again, I think they can't help themselves. They clasp their hands in prayer. But it's genuine. It's not the false reverence they showed to Athamos to keep their secret inclinations hidden. It's so real. And every memory, every history of every mortal who has ever loved the star sits in Rune's bones. And that hellfire in them burns their heart when they look at her. It burns their heart all the way to the core. Is that why you made me? Please, I need to know. I need to know who you are. I need to know why you brought me here. The star inclines his massive, holy head and closes his eyes. And as he does, the mists shift and twist and change once more until they form a floating kingdom in the sky. A kingdom of levitating hills studded with colorful temples, farms, shrines, homes. And as you take in this vision above, you realize the hills aren't levitating. They're resting upon the sky itself. Upon the body of the star, which is as vast as the horizon, comprised of purple nebulae and galaxies and constellations. Her head shines above the kingdom, a bright glowing star, the antlers fanning out to form a halo. And the star on the ground before you opens his eyes and says, I was the first of the gods to descend from the river and teach the mortals how to live. I taught you how to build homes, how to stoke fires, how to cook food and purify water and raise children. In the star song you see above you, in this kingdom we built together, everyone was welcome, mortal and divine. But as the years went on, I realized that you were teaching me just as much, if not more. Yes, I gave you knowledge, yes, I gave you power, and to the right mortals at the right time, to the very first speakers of the cradle, I gave magic. But in return, you gave me the greatest gift of all. A home. A community. 
I know the scriptures say the gods taught the mortals how to love, but the truth of the world is, we taught that to each other. And Rune, this vision of this kingdom, the star song, shimmers as the star in that vision bends their head toward the tallest temple on the tallest peak. And standing on that peak, you see a woman, a mortal woman with raven black hair braided in twin whips down her back, twin whips modeled after the long curving antlers of the god before her. She wears robes as white as clouds, embroidered with golden thread as bright as light. And you watch as the very first speaker of the cradle, the speaker of the star, Sing, raises an arm and rests the flat of her palm against the massive snout of the star. The star nuzzles into Sing, and you watch as Sing smiles and laughs and pets the snout. And approaching Sing from behind are two gods familiar to you, death and the devil. Death's skin bears fewer tattoos than you remember, Rune, and she greets the star and her speaker with a curt nod. The devil looks different as well. His hair is shorter, and his smile is just as cocky, just as arrogant, but a touch more real as he greets the star and his speaker. The star smiles down at her loved ones and she closes her eyes and stepping forward out of the mist onto this peak is an embodied humanoid version of the star, the same height and build as the devil and death. A tall, muscular person, both man and woman, with shoulder-length hair the color of starlight. This avatar of the star embraces the devil and death as his speaker smiles upon watching them. And the star on the earth before you goes on to say, For centuries, the star song thrived. My kingdom in the sky that watched over the affairs of the earthly realms. I worked with my lineage of speakers to document the histories, the cultures, the wisdoms of the cradle. The other gods had their place in the cradle and the world as well. Wanderers and mystics, fighters and healers, those who gave, those who took, those who did both, and those who did neither. So full was my life, so surrounded was I by love, that I did not recognize my brother's resentment until it was too late. The world, I believe, he goes by the witness now was the only god among us who did not travel the cradle, live in the river, or even journey between realms. The world was... Well, he was the world. He was the ground, and the sky, and the cradle, and the river. We sojourned beside him, always. He was everything. And by being everything, he felt he had become nothing. In his mind, no one worshipped him, no one praised him, no one loved him. What began as a small envy deepened into hateful coveting as he saw mortals worshipping and praising and loving every god under the sun that wasn't him. And so, he struck me down. And Rune, the hills of the star song above your head, begin to shake. The speaker staggers backward, alarmed. Death catches her, steadies her. The avatar of the star frowns and turns, and her true form, her heart, rears up behind her, and we see, breaking himself away from the sky, the world. A massive, serpentine dragon, identical in every way to the star, except for his hide. Instead of glimmering constellations, the world's scales are comprised of eyes. Staring, flickering, watching eyes as red as rubies, as red as blood. 
The world's golden claws flash and he tackles the star's heart. And the sheer force of this impact breaks the kingdom off the star's back and sends these mighty hills and mountains and farms and homes crashing down, down, down toward the surface of the cradle. Death's eyes go wide. And as she falls, she wraps her arms around the screaming speaker and vanishes into the chaos below. Before death goes, she shouts a warning up at the devil, but it's too late. The devil's wings are open and he is flying toward his lover's avatar, beating his wings fast, desperate, hard. And the avatar is in his arms in seconds, familiar and holy. But up in the sky, the real fight is brief. The world is upon the star. The star looks shocked. There is a noise, like a tapestry of the universe ripping. And then the star's head separates from her neck in a spray of golden blood. The devil freezes, his wings catching in the air, his face a calamity of emotions, stupor, fear, grief, hatred, rage. A single glowing tear falls from the corner of the star's eye and vanishes into the mist below. And we hold on the devil now, as the avatar of the star in his arms flutters her eyes closed for the final time. You know the rest of the story, Godkiller. The balance of the river was disturbed. The other gods saw what happened, and feared, and learned. The name of the next god to fell another doesn't matter. All that does is that it happened, over and over and over again until the river was starving and the devouring was here. <sighs> My poor death. So many souls to ferry, so many names to carve into her flesh. My poor devil, he tried so hard to save me, and he blames himself to this day, but it is not his fault. My brother's actions, and his actions alone, are the cause of my death and the beginning of the end of everything. Oh, then my poor, poor speaker. After I died... My brother took my kingdom and made it his own. He demanded that my speakers and my community worship him, as he believed they had worshipped me. And perhaps they had. But I never demanded devotion. I never demanded obedience. All I had ever wanted was a family. I believe that's all the witness wants, too. A family. He thought he had none. That's why his jealousy grew. He tried to seize one with force to make the people of the cradle love him. Tithing was once a divine ritual, given freely and willingly from mortal hearts to divine souls. But now, it is forced. Tithing is done out of fear or rage or greed. Before the devouring, heresy did not exist. There was no wrong way to worship or to not worship. Heresy was invented by the six, by the cannibals, by the gods who killed each other for power, survival, or pleasure in order to control the mortals that now cower in their presence. And yet, look at you, you beautiful, broken heretics. Following a path you've carved out by your own hand instead of the path set for you by powers who care not about your hearts. Do you still care for us? Even so far away. Your last memory tucked in here in... Enrune looks around, peering through the mist, and... It's familiar. I think in the distance of the mist they can see buildings... That familiar city street, all the dead souls walking across it. They're so far from the sidewalk now. It's like the city before the city was built. 
Do you still care for our hearts so far away from everything? A thousand years gone and dead, you still love us. Do you still want a family? God killer, I have never stopped loving you. I have never stopped loving this world. I have never stopped hoping, hoping for change, hoping for the redemption of everything, hoping for family. Is that why you made me? Is that what you hoped for me? In the tear that fell from my eye, and that judgment caught in his palm and deemed just, I made the God-Killer prophecy, not out of hatred, not out of vengeance against my brother, but out of love. I know why he did what he did. It doesn't make his actions right. It does not justify his evil. But still, I feel his pain. I feel your pain. I feel all of your pain. The God Killer is not meant to simply destroy and burn and bleed. You are meant to unite our realms to mend the connection that has been severed. A mortal heart, imbued with divine power. A mortal's agency, coupled with godlike destiny. You have the ability to transform the cradle, to repair the river. The only question is, how will you do it? Will you do it with hatred and rage in your heart? Will you make a cradle that is modeled after vengeance? Or will you do it out of love? Out of respect for all things around you? And out of hope? The power is not what makes you worthy. The power is not what makes you good. The power is not what makes you evil. It is what you do with it that counts. Rune inhales sharply. And their hand goes to the inside of their breast pocket, where they pull out a crumpled, seven-year-old cigarette box, the one that they had stolen from the swords caravan the day the 21 damned died. There are no more cigarettes, no tobacco, nothing inside of it an empty box where Rune carries their grief. And they pull it out, and they look up at the star. I have never been very good at worshipping, so forgive me if this doesn't go quite right. And Rune sets it down reverently in front of them, as though it were an offering, a sacrifice, a lamb, a mortal heart weighed against a feather. I am not just vengeance. I am not just hope. I am not just grief. I am not just loss. And I am not just love. And I am not just rage. I am mortal and I am God killer. I was made from your tear and the devil's blood. I was made by my own knife. I am made in the image of those who have loved me and those who have passed. I am made in the image of the future. I will make a different cradle. And I hope that it will be like me. I hope it will be all things. And I hope that you will rest. And I hope that they will rest. And I hope that one day I will rest too. The star lowers his head and touches his snout to the cigarette box and the mists swirl and thicken around it, and the mists take it, and the star takes it. The star lifts her head, so she's eye level with you now. 
and you hear her voice surrounding you, holding you, hugging and embracing you with such kindness, such gentleness, such love. Well said, God Killer. I knew Xiang and the Twenty-One Damned made the right decision. What you do, what you have done, what you will do, honors them. It honors the devil, and it honors me. Thank you, God Killer, for everything you will give to the cradle. And I am sorry, God Killer, for everything we will take from you. I am sorry for all that the cradle has taken from you. And I thank you for all you have given to it. I must ask you the same question, God Killer. Do you still hope? Do you still hope for a family? What do you hope for the world? I have never stopped. I have never stopped hoping. I have never stopped loving them, and I don't think I ever will. And Rune, as you say that, you don't see it directly, but on your peripheral vision, there they are, the Twenty-One Damned, their silhouettes carved out of mist, standing in a loose circle around you, watching you, hearing your... Is that a prayer, Rune? Is that a prayer for the first time in your life? I think it is. And the star says, What do you hope for your world, Rune? I hope that when the ocean comes, it finds something beautiful. I hope that when the waves crash and pull the cradle into its jaws, it swallows love. I hope it takes a full world, a happy world, a weeping, beautiful, broken and happy world. I hope it claims our districts full of community, with teachers and prophets and food and cucumbers and ducks and books and music and cars, and heretics, and cannibals, and thunder, and rain, and trees. I hope the world, when it dies, dies beautifully. I hope that it chooses its death and regrets nothing. Then that is the fate I wish for you and your world to have as well. A fate where you get to choose your end. And that your end is surrounded by love. I see now why he loves you. I wish I could have loved you. Oh, God Killer. But you do. You did. You have. And you shall. I have always been a part of you. I have always been a part of all of my mortal children. For where there is hope, I am. As long as there is even a single person who hopes, I shall never truly be gone. Thank you. Thank you for staying with us. Thank you for keeping me. I love him still, too. I miss him. I know we are both gone now, but the river is weak. I cannot feel him in it. I cannot reach him. He cannot reach me. You can fix it. You can fix everything, God Killer. I want to. 
I want to be the god killer. I want to change the cradle. I want to choose when I die. The mists sweep away from you, clearing this entire area of fog. And you see where you are. You're in the sky. You are surrounded by stars and space, by the rising peaks of buildings, by the swirling tide of the river around you. And it is not just the 21 dam that surround you now. It is every person who has ever lived, loved, and died in the cradle. And the star before you and you standing before her, your images are reflected like two people standing upon a plate of black glass. She lowers her snout in your direction, and you know what you have to do next. And I would like to spare a god. It just works. It doesn't just work, actually. It works very well. I will just automatically give you a strong hit on this move. So on a strong hit, you can bestow upon the star the blessing of the god killer. And as Rune reaches out and touches Zir hand to the star's forehead, they say, Thou must never lose hope. As you make contact with the star, magic and light sweep out from that point of connection. And you see a bright glowing star appear on her forehead in the exact color of your soul. What is the color of your soul, Rune? Gray, like warm iron, struck through with a singeing, burned, bright red. That warm, glowing iron flashes, illuminates bright for a second, and then dies down, the fur of the star's mane rippling in its wake. And as this magic pulses downward, you feel the star also imbue you with a fragment of her power as well. Not just a power, but a blessing. Because on a hit, the god you spare performs a single favor of your choosing, such as lifting a curse or performing a miracle. There's one more curse that still binds Rune's soul. And I think at this point, they deserve the freedom to make their own choices about where they go in the cradle. Athamos's curse feels like a dark, cold pit at the bottom of your soul. And the star's magic rushes inward, filling that empty space, illuminating the sides of that cavernous emptiness. And the light of the star burns the curse away from the inside out. And this burning doesn't hurt at all. If anything, it is gentle. It is as gentle as the first beams of starlight evaporating evening dew. By the time the light dies down from within you, you feel lighter. You feel open. You feel free. And with that freedom, the star imbues you as well with a shard of her power. And Rune, you have seized a fragment of the star's own divinity, which is hope. What does that power look like upon you? A glowing tattoo melts into existence against Rune's forehead of a star in the color of her soul, gleaming, glittering, iridescent and bright, the color of light. The mists begin to thicken around you. This vision of the night sky, I think, is swept away by this bright white fog. The silhouettes of the 21 damned fading. The silhouettes of everyone who's been taken by death fading as well. And you know this moment is ending. You know you don't have much time left before you have to go back to the cradle, before you have to leave this place and confront your destiny. And the star, even as her form begins to melt into the mist around you as well, she says to you, Godkiller, my brother is close. I can sense him. He has felt our pact in what remains of the dried up banks of the river. He is angry and he is afraid of the power you now wield. He wishes to kill you. 
You must not let him. You must confront him. You must make him answer for everything he's done. My name is Rune Ironsworn. I am a heretic from Iron 42, and I am the God Killer. And the gods will taste my seal. And with that, the star vanishes into the mist. The mist takes over the final gaps that surround you, and then ding, 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 a silhouette of stars lights up in the space in front of you, forming the outline of a door. And Rune Ironsorn, you tip backward, and you fall through the gate. As you do, this mist vanishes around you and you tip back into the Star Song Temple. There is a noise like thunder, like the tapestry of a universe ripping open. And then before your very eyes, the roof of the temple is gone and the witness is here. Episode 16, The Finale of Godkiller First Blood, will air next Tuesday, June 27th. Godkiller First Blood is performed by Connie Chong and C. Thomas. Follow Connie on Twitter and TikTok at ByConnieChong, and C. on Twitter at CPlaysRPG. To play your very own campaign of Godkiller and support our show, pre-order Godkiller First Blood Edition on itch.io today. Transplaner RPG is made possible by your Patreon contributions and sponsors who believe in our mission to tell great stories and lift up our community. Sponsors like ExplainTrade.com. ExplainTrade is a negotiation skills consultancy whose director, Dimitri Opines on Twitter, has asked us to say, and I quote, Please sign up for Transplaner's Patreon because at some point people will figure out he's a cisgender white guy giving all his money to trans and queer art and then he'll be too broke to sponsor us. We love you, Dimitri, and heed his words. Sign up for our Patreon today at patreon.com slash transplanerrpg. First Blood is also sponsored by Start Playing Games, the largest online platform for players to find tabletop role-playing campaigns of your very own. Join a table that fits your schedule today at startplaying.games. We are also sponsored by Magpie Games, the independent TTRPG publisher behind such incredible works as Masks A New Generation, Avatar Legends, Urban Shadows, Bluebeard's Bride, and much, much more. Check out their amazing selection of Powered by the Apocalypse games at magpiegames.com. Finally, we're proud to be sponsored by Roll. Roll is an online RPG platform that serves as a video-first alternative to complex virtual tabletops. Build, modify, and play your very own games of Godkiller on Roll today at playroll.com.